Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. For as long as I can remember, I've been captivated by the beauty of stained glass windows. In the congregation of my youth, they had a beautiful stained glass window high up to catch the light of the rising sun. Each piece carefully crafted, strategically arranged, placed to tell us a story. You could get lost in the seemingly fragile world that that artist created, mesmerized by the light that bled through. Today is Epiphany, and in our text, Matthew portrays a fragile world created by a divine artist with grace that comes bleeding through. Matthew begins this text in a rather odd way. He tells us that when Jesus was born, it was in the days of Herod the king. In the days of Herod the king. It's a strange phrase to use considering Matthew just spent an entire chapter on the genealogy of Jesus. There in that chapter we have traced out for us the origins of, the, of Jesus the Messiah. And Matthew has not simply listed name after name after name. No, Matthew has strategically arranged those names, arranged them so that you see a divine design. Three sets of 14 generations, from Abraham to David, from David to Babylon, from Babylon to the Messiah. As if Matthew is showing us that in the midst of human time, in the midst of human planning, there is some divine plan, divine time making its way known. So that this child born in Bethlehem is the son of Abraham, the son of David, God with us. And with all of that eternity promised in the time of God, wrapped up in the flesh of Jesus, it amazes me that Matthew says that when Jesus was born, not in the days of the kingdom of God, but it was in the days of Herod the king. Yet with these words, Matthew artistically invites us into that kingdom, a fragile kingdom filled with power and fear and deception and murder. We watch as the wise men, the magi, walk in unsuspectedly into that kingdom. They arrive in Jerusalem and ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And they are told, we are told that Herod was terrified. He trembled. He was frightened. And then Matthew adds, and all of Jerusalem with him. That's strange. All of Jerusalem? Why would all of Jerusalem be terrified that the king of the Jews has been born? Maybe it's not that they were terrified of the Jewish king. They are terrified that Herod has learned that a king has been born. You see, three years ago, Herod had murdered two of his own sons, murdered them on trumped-up charges of conspiracy to take the throne. Years before that, Herod had murdered their mother, his own wife, for the same reason. We begin to see that Herod lives in a paranoid state 
with fear and murder lurking behind his actions and in his power. And we find that same in the event of our text today. He takes the wise men aside secretly. And he discerns from them what time exactly the star had appeared. And then he sends them to Bethlehem to make a careful search for the child and then come back and make a report. This is a fragile kingdom filled with deception and murder. So much that angels even come in dreams warning people to flee. It is a fragile kingdom and yet there are moments of grace that bleed through. One such moment is from the prophet Micah. You know how you have those favorite Bible passages, the ones that you lean on in certain times, in times of sorrow and suffering, times of uncertainty and fear, times of joy and celebration? Do you know where those verses are located in the Bible? I guess you might know generally where they are, but you couldn't describe how they were connected to the verses around them. It's often what happens with our favorite Bible verses, isn't it? You find yourself just using them again and again, and and slowly all of the rough edges get worn off, and you have in your hand this nice polished gem of a verse. I'm not saying it's right, but it's what happens. You read in Isaiah, for example, God says, Fear not, I am with you. And you find yourself turning again and again to that very significant moments in your life. You've used that verse so often that the rough edges have have worn smooth. You don't know what happened in the chapter before or, or the chapter that follows. But all you are left with are these words, that verse, that promise of God. It's kind of like that verse stuck on a magnet in your fr- on your fridge. There in the midst of the to-do lists and the shopping lists and the pictures of family and friends, you find yourself in the midst of, of the chaos of this world and you rush to the fridge and you, you throw it open to throw something together. And as you shut that door, that magnet catches your eye and you read, Fear not, I am with you. And so out of its context, the word of God still has the power to bring a moment of grace there in your kitchen that carries you through. That's kind of what happens in our text with this prophecy. All the rough edges of Micah have been worn smooth. Gone are the textures of the towns of 8th century Judah. Gone is the cursing of God that immediately precedes this prophecy. Gone are the sins of the people and the judgment of God. Gone are all of those rough edges. And all that they have left is this gem, this promise of God. And somehow it's clear after years of handling and ages of hoping, so that when asked, they say, it's in Bethlehem. God has promised to give a ruler to shepherd his people. And that word of grace goes from the pages of Scripture and into the mouth of King Herod. 
You notice the wise men don't read for themselves from Scripture. The wise men hear this from Herod. Now there's a change of context for you. Here are the words of God, this gem on the mouth of the lying lips of a deceptive and murderous king. Yet even there, even in that context, this gem has the power to light the way so that Gentiles in the kingdom of death come kneeling before the Lord of life. That, my friends, is the wonder of epiphany. Into a fragile world, God brings moments of grace that reveal his love for all nations. That's the comfort that Matthew brings into our fragile worlds. I don't need to talk too much of our fragile worlds, do I? You know what I mean. You come here because you hear the word of God and believe. And you get involved because you want to be part of that body of Christ and share his love with others and learn more about Jesus. But the more you get involved, the more fragile your world becomes. The more you hear of what Jesus does through his disciples, the more you begin to doubt that he could possibly do those things through you. The more you get involved and begin to help out, and get a sense of the the real need and feel the responsibility, you begin to wonder if you're up to the task, and you begin to question if perhaps you're over your head, and your world becomes even more fragile. And the more you begin to learn and to share the love of Jesus in church and out in the world, the more you begin to wonder if others care about this as much as you do. And you begin to either lose interest or you start believing that somehow you're better than all the rest. Somehow, apathy and pride get mixed into this process of your spiritual formation. See, we live in a fragile world, a world made fragile by our sin. And yet that's the comfort of Matthew's text That into fragile worlds, God comes. God comes bringing moments of grace. Here in this place, God comes with a world that reveals his grace for you. Here in this place, God again and again, like an artist cementing together pieces of colored glass, points you to the wonders of his love in his son. There, on the cross, You see the frailty of your humanity spread out on the tree. And somehow in that body, you see the grace of God come bleeding through. Grace that a table has been set for your sustenance. Grace here for you this morning that in the mixture of all that apathy and pride, God still equips you for his service. Grace that in the mix of all that service in the church and in the world, God still does his process of formation in you. Grace that in the midst of all your frailty, there is still a word from Scripture, somewhere in Scripture, 
Fear not, for I am with you. That's the celebration of Epiphany. God's love again and again throughout history for all nations. Now I began by telling you about the stained glass window in the congregation of my youth. But I didn't tell you what was depicted there. It's simply the story of the creed. Telling the message of God's love. That he so loved the world that he created. That he redeemed it and sanctified it to be his own Isn't that what Matthew's text is? He's a messenger sharing with us a message for the entire world that God's love is strong enough, artistic enough for all of creation. And even now, God prepares people and sends them forth to take that message to the ends of the globe. And when that message has reached the ends of the earth, that fragile world will begin to break apart. And suddenly, we will find ourselves in a kingdom that cannot be shaken with a wonder of God that will never fade away. Choirs upon choirs will sing Hosanna. People from every nation and tribe and language all in one body singing one song. And that will be the final epiphany appearing of Jesus. And we will find ourselves not lost in a world. No, we will be found. Found in the hands of an artist who loves you into life. Both now and And forevermore. Amen. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.